This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Thanks for listening to the For the Campus podcast, where each week we sit down and have discussions about Christian faithfulness in the college campus. To learn more about City Church Tallahassee and our ministries, head to citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey guys, well, welcome again to City Church U. For those of you who are new here, my name's Hunter Levine. I'm the college pastor here at City Church, and I just want to say that we love college students. We're excited to get rolling in this fall, and we believe that the college campus is one of the most strategic places in the world to make disciples, and we pray that you would join us in that work. I'll share some more information at the end of the service tonight about how you can get better plugged in here at City Church, but I'm excited for us to get into the text together. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Philippians 1. That's where we're going to be tonight, and that's what we're going to be going through as a group this fall. We're going to spend the next couple weeks uh, going through this important letter. I don't know if you've ever listened to a sermon or been a part of a, a Bible study before, maybe even been studying alone, and you came across a verse that you learned, and it was life-changing. It was an incredibly impactful thing to understand. I don't hear this language as much, but I used to hear it a lot where people would say, this is my life verse. What's your life verse? And that seems like a, a big commitment to us today. Uh, some of you guys maybe are like, Proverbs 18, he who desires a wife has a good thing, right? All right, so calm down. But today's equivalent maybe would be, what's your Instagram bio verse? You got to make sure you put the matching emojis around it. Or what's the, the decoration verse that you would put up on your mantle in your home? Or And maybe this hasn't happened to you yet, but sometimes you come across these verses and you learn about them and you connect with them. And, and it's a really important, incredible life-giving thing. Now, I want you to imagine having that level of familiarity or affection not just for a, a verse, but for an entire book of the Bible where you could open it in times of struggle and be warmed. And that's what I'm hoping that you'll get out of this study. And, and I want to do something, and I'm asking this of you, to make the commitment not just to be here on Tuesday nights, but to also make the commitment to spend time in this text as well, that you would read it, that you would study it. And I promise you that if you make that commitment, you will find a deep rootedness in this book will change your life. And we often just get so rushed going from class to work to other engagements. 
uh, some of you guys are, are just constantly, it's, it's like my eighth month, eighth month year old daughter, you know, she's always kind of moving, going somewhere, moving, go, we, we need to slow down. And I'd love for you to join us over the next few weeks working through this letter together. So just a little bit of context about the book of Philippians. Paul is in prison in Rome for the first time, and word about his imprisonment is spreading. It's causing some people to doubt his legitimacy, but it's causing other people to be emboldened and to spread the gospel, as we'll see next week. And while Paul is in prison, he writes to the church of Philippi, which Acts 16 tells us that he helped plant and start that church 10 years earlier. And throughout the letter, we can see Paul's deep, ongoing commitment to that church. Philippi was a a strategic place to plant a church, to do ministry, had a, a rich history as a Roman colony, had a major road that ran through it that people would travel. It was a a well known, influential city in the first century world. And the early church had a a, a similar model to, to college ministry today, and it's that they would reach people in hopes that they would be sent out that they would spread that gospel, take that good news with them to the places that they were going to next. And this letter that Paul writes to the church of Philippi is very warm. It's got these loving tones where you can see that Paul had a great care and love for the church of Philippi. Paul's done some considerable ministry in that city and had relationships with many of the people. And I don't want us to see that this letter is not just an important letter, but it's also a letter that Paul is sending to a group of people, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are greatly loved. And Paul's desire for them, which matches my desire for us, is that they would be faithful in advancing the gospel together. Paul reminds them of the joy that they have in Christ tells them about the urgency of the mission of the gospel going out. He encourages them to be faithful with the time that they have in Philippi. So he begins this letter with a prayer. I want you to see this in Philippians 1. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. Now, this is the same Timothy as first and second Timothy, the same Timothy who helped plant the church in Ephesus uh, in ministry companion that, that Paul loved and did ministry with throughout the New Testament. He says this to the church of Philippi, grace to you and peace from the God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Then he transitions from that greeting into a prayer, and that's what we're going to look at tonight and also next week. He says this in verse 3, I give thanks to God for every remembrance of you always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about you because I have you in my heart and you are partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. 
And I pray this, that your love will keep growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve that the superior and may be, bla- and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here's what I want us to grasp tonight. And this is going to be a two-part work through this prayer. What we're going to talk about tonight is how he prays. That's what we see in the beginning here, and then what we'll talk about next week is what he prays for. But if we can understand the two aspects of this prayer, of this text, it will help us to better understand everything else that follows in the letter. So how he prays. There's three things I want us to see in this tonight. The first is that he prays with thanks. Have you ever noticed, like, at any award show, it doesn't matter if it's from movies to television to radio to sports, a lot of people feel the need to thank God, even though they don't seem to really have any type of concrete idea or outworking of who God is. Now, when Paul is giving thanks in the opening of this letter, he's not giving some sort of vague, culturally obligatory thanks. Paul is showing a deep-hearted gratitude for, one, their partnership in the gospel, and two, that he who began a good work in them would see it through to completion, that God's faithful in that. In other words, that God has saved them, and he will maintain them, and he has allowed them to be a part of this, and this is an important phrase, partnership in the gospel. You see this word partnership in this verse. It says we are partners in the gospel in two, in two ways I want us to see here. One, we're partners that we are partakers in the gospel, partners of grace, people who have been forgiven by Christ Jesus, not because of our actions or church attendance or decisions, but partakers because we've received grace through faith in him unites us, makes us partners in that. But we're also partners as practitioners who are involved in advancing the gospel, which we will talk about in two weeks. That we are united in this partnership and we are called to live united in a way that glorifies God and advances his kingdom. So Paul begins by sharing with them, he gives thanks to God for them. This is the posture of a Christian, a posture of gratitude and thanks that comes from knowing the Lord and seeing his work. So he prays with thanks. And the second thing he does is he prays with remembrance and joy. This is tied to the previous point before, but I want to highlight this in the text because Paul's prayer was not just a petition for what he desired God to do, it was a praise for what God had already done. God had done so much in and through the church of Philippi and Paul that even though he was writing this prayer in a jail cell, a first century jail cell at that, Paul was not fully consumed with where he physically was. He was also mindful of what God has done and who God is. And we are constantly praying for God to do things without remembrance of who God is and what God has done. We find ourselves in a place of anxiousness. It's not bad to come to God and, and to bring our needs to the Lord, to confess our needs to the Lord. But if we're constantly praying for God to do things in our life without remembering who he is and what he has done, we will constantly find ourselves in a place of anxiousness. 
praying as if God is an assistant to help us get through life. God, just if you could just help me with this test, if you could help me get there on time, if you could help her text me back. It's not a bad thing to bring those things before the Lord, but without remembrance, we have anxiousness. Paul pay, prays with remembrance and joy. And when we pray with remembrance of God, we find ourselves in joy. Not because of our momentary assessment of the situation. Paul's in jail. Not because we got what we wanted. Not because we things are going our way, but because we remember the grace of the Lord. And that's a, a real joy. That's an actual peace that Scripture speaks of regardless of our circumstance. This is how Paul could later tell the church in Philippians 4.6, don't worry about anything, but through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You and I have much to learn from that. But he prays with remembrance and joy. Lastly, he prays with confidence. Love this verse. He says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is likely here writing to a church that was wrestling with doubts and some confusion, probably like many of you in this room. Paul is saying, I'm, I'm sure that the Lord will continue in his faithfulness to you, not to give you the riches of the world, but to make you more like him, to help you to better know him and to know the richness of the gospel. We see these strong tones in Paul's writings. It's not just wishful thinking, but Paul prays as someone who knows who he's praying to, someone who has a confidence in the Lord. It's a matter of trust. Paul is trusting in the Lord, and that influenced his prayer. I don't know many of you in this room, but in a room like this, there's certainly people who sometimes pray to God and don't know why they do, or don't know if he cares or, or is real, and perhaps have even given up and do not pray at all, or only when asked. Probably in this room, there's people who are confused about what they actually believe when they lay down at night and think. And in that confusion, have a hard time seeking prayer. And so rather they turn on a computer or TV screen or open up their phone looking for a distraction. But, but Paul prays with confidence. He prays with joy. He prays in the midst of imprisonment and hardship. He even shares his remorse for not getting to see them in verse 8. We know that he misses them deeply, so, so why pray? How does Paul have confidence and joy? Because he's praying with his eyes fixed, not on the world, not on his jail cell in Rome, but his eyes fixed on Christ. I want you to look again at this passage with me and look to see what, what themes you hear. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to the saints in Christ, grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ, he who 
started will complete until the day of Christ. I miss you with the affections of Christ so that you may be approved what is blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. As I look at my Bible, I see Christ mentioned in every single line of this prayer. Because in this prayer, Paul prays as someone who has his eyes fixed on Christ. That's how he prays with confidence. Not a confidence in himself, not a confidence in his situation, but rather a confidence that he who began a good work will finish it, a a confidence in Christ. To, To get the depth of this, we need to know Paul's story in Acts 9, where He's radically saved by the Lord. He's on the road to Damascus going to persecute and stop the advance of the gospel. And God radically meets him on that road, saves him and tells him, here's how much you're going to suffer for my sake so that this message that you're trying to stop will go out. Paul's experienced the risen Christ, so he prays with someone who has confidence because his eyes are fixed on him. So he prays with thanks. He prays with remembrance and joy, and he prays with confidence. So what should we do? How do we respond? I have just two things that I want to encourage you to tonight. Number one, to get connected with partners in the gospel. So you can encourage one another and care one another, pray with one another, work together, work towards something bigger than yourself. So we would love City Church and City Church U to be a place where you have partners in the gospel in this season of life for the glory of God. And the second thing that I'd like to challenge you to do in response to this is to spend time remembering what God has done. That requires studying Scripture. Scripture works together to give us one big story that's centered on Christ, the work of God. In Psalm 1, it says that when we're rooted in the Word, we're like a tree that's planted close to water, that there's growth and health and strength. So in order to remember what God has done, you have to know what God has done. And the way that we know what God has done is we look and study through His revealed Word, Scripture. And then I also want to encourage you to practice reflection, whether that's through journaling or sharing your story or carving out time during the day to go on a walk alone. I want you to reflect on what you're learning, praying, seeing through the scriptures. I'm excited to be studying this book together over the next couple weeks, and I pray that you would join us in that. But before we go any further tonight in the service, I'd like to pray. Father, we're grateful for you. We're grateful that we have your grace. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people who are a praying people. Father, that you would help us to understand that there's nothing on this earth that is greater than your gospel and the riches that are found in you. Father, I pray that we would be passionate about partnering with other people in this church and in this city to reach people for you. And I pray that we would study this word and that you would allow it to change our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the For the Campus podcast. If this podcast was helpful for you, please take time to share it with others. Also, feel free to reach out to us online. Have a great day.